0: It's hard to feel free when the world is crashing down around us and we're shut up in our homes practicing social distancing. But you don't have to feel trapped. You can right your way to freedom. Welcome to the Right Away Podcast.
1: Hello, friends. This is episode number 48 of the Right Away Podcast. And it is the 17th of June, 2021, as we are recording. I'm JP Reinflush with my co host,
0: Chris Kane.
1: Hello, Chris. How has your week been? Two weeks.
0: Mm, Yeah, because we didn't do well. I wrote words. I know that happened. I was on an episode of Next Level Author with Dan filling in for Sasha taking a break. That was fun. We talked about my question was, how do you know when you've done enough? Because we're both workaholics. And so we had a really good conversation on that. And I've been prepping to go into full-time momness. The kiddo's dad is going up to the States to work for a bit. And so we've had a lot of things to run down and run. We've had a lot of things to run around and get in place before that happens. So it's been a bit chaotic. How about you? Hmm.
1: Less chaotic i just got out of a a week with the day job that is more intensive so it was kind of nice to to get out of there and have a little bit of respite but i have had an overall good couple of weeks i would say i've been working on the edits for book one and let me tell you info dumps they are they're so good i love rewriting info dumps to not be info dumpy that is my favorite Thing in the world
0: it's funny because we've been having this conversation and i'm working on some stuff with info dumps i caught myself in my velo project like a line and then i was like oh if i write it that way then i have to info dump why this is the way it is and it's like okay please go potty thanks kid and <laughs> uh, Why a, why yeah? I would have to info dump why, and and so instead I have this brother and sister who are in conflict. I like, "We'll just use the conflict to explain it," because that was my question to you when you were like, "How do I do like how do I make this particular scene not an info dump?" And I was like, "Who can have an argument?"
1: Yeah, yeah. I so two of my biggest info dump sections, one that I finally got through and then one that I'm just starting and, and trying to tackle, are basically like classroom scenes, but there is only one student and one teacher in this scene. and. After reading it, I 100% see it because as I was editing through it, I just wasn't thinking about info dumps. So I was like, oh, this is a classroom scene, like in Harry Potter, blah, blah, blah. But as I'm reading it now, I'm seeing all of these leading questions that I have are the main character posting. And I'm just like, this is, I wouldn't even say this. This is so like, obviously an info dump. So I'm looking at it and I'm just like, how can I add conflict. So I actually I went back after talking with you and I was looking at what are the wants and needs from both characters and trying to incorporate the two to figure out like how I can alter the conversation and unfortunately that means like cutting some bits of it because the char- the main character doesn't want to know that information but um still getting enough info across. And I think I got there with the first one and I think I just need a little bit more time with the second one and then It'll be better. I'm not going to say golden because that's not, I don't think everything's perfect. That's not how the world works. But I think it will be better. And then I get to read it. And then you get to read it. Look at that. And because you asked me and it's not like we have less than half a month left if we were doing the villain short story. (laughs) But I started it. (laughs) Maybe a little too late, but I'm actually like making some decent project process our progress on that, mm. um, which has been really fun. It's been fun to just be weird and write the weird things I want to write.
0: Yeah, I think I prod you into getting started on something so that it will guilt me into getting started on it because you're actually far more likely to just actually start on it than I am. And so now that you're sure. writing my, yours, I'm like, oh, I actually do need to start on mine.
1: <laughs> good,
0: then I'll I just abuse keep... people for my own benefit.
1: <laughs> I'll keep guilting you by me- pa- or, uh, sending you the messages or passages that I was like, oh, this is fun. Exactly.
0: We have a new patron. We do. It is
1: Lon Lon Ivarnador, e. our good friend from Book Club.
0: Thanks, Lon. Thank you, Lon.
1: You're a wonderful human.
0: All right. Do we miss we knew anything? that before?
1: We, I'm just going to clarify. We knew that before.
0: Do we miss anything else or are we ready to get into our discussion about scenes and chapters?
1: Nope. We don't have any new comments. So,
0: yeah, we're good. So, do you have a definition of scenes and chapters that you like? just in my head? If you have a better. One. Mine's in my head too. So, share yours and then I'll share mine. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Or vice versa.
1: (laughs) No, I'm going to do this and then you're going to laugh at me. Okay, so scenes would be to me like a single point of action. I really subscribe to the three-story method when we talk about scenes. So a scene comprising of more or less 95% of the time, a conflict choice and consequence, an enclosed unit. I also view scenes as events with either the same people or within the same amount of time. And therefore, if new people enter into a scene, or if time passes, that may instigate a new scene, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then chapters. Chapters, uh, this one
1: I actually am struggled with because I feel like this one is way more ambiguous which is why I wanted to talk about this because for me I think chapters are (sighs) and to me chapters are an enclosed unit of an event so it's as opposed to where a scene maybe a conflict choice and consequence that's an enclosed space and time. This may be within a
0: period of time. Oh no, I don't know what a chapter is. (laughs) Help me. So my definition of scenes is that they're a unit of movement. Let me rephrase that. They're a unit of story movement. So that's my definition of scenes. And chapters are a unit of organization. So there are different ways that you could organize a chapter. It could be a collections of scenes from one character's viewpoint if you have a multi viewpoint book it could simply be one of the ways I actually like it best. It it is a collection of scenes that ends around roughly the same length. That's one of my favorite ways to use the chapters as an organizational tool because readers actually like consistency. They really like the scenes to pass at about the same length. And you think about TV shows, we generally like them to be about the same length because we have an internal expectation of how long it's going to last. Can you think of a book that has had inconsistent chapters? There's nothing wrong with inconsistent chapters. There are different kind of organizational unit, but can you remember as a kid like being like, okay, I'm just gonna finish this chapter and you just happened to be in the longest freaking chapter in that book and you still have eight pages left to go, but your mom's yelling at you and like how frustrating that is because your internal expectation was, okay, this chapter is gonna wrap up soon and then I'll be good to go, I'll remember where I'm at, but you can't read eight pages in the amount of time you have. So I really like consistent chapters. Do mm-hmm. I always use them? Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's one. I think that this was part of why I wanted to have this conversation was that in Abe and my book, we don't have necessarily consistent chapters. Some of them are way shorter than others, but like they're so, they're, it's such a natural beat for us. And that's mm-hmm. the part that I'm like, which one do you follow? Do you follow natural beats or consistency? And so when I think about the times that I've come across really long chapters. For example, in The Wheel of Time, the one chapter that at least an audiobook takes over eight hours. It's a very long chapter. Um, I still like people talk about that chapter and like the people that are in the fan base, they're like, oh no, you've reached that chapter. But it's not because the chapter's long. They're like, the content in this chapter is devastating, just so you know. So that was the part that I was concerned about is are we going to upset readers through not being consistent?
0: So, I did a nerd study, as I do, on chapter and scene length once upon a time. Excel spreadsheet, like downloading ebooks, breaking DRM, converting them to Clebreak, converting them to Word so that I could then just highlight each scene. And chapter to see how many words it was and put it in an Excel. Doc. And I did this for, I don't know, like seven books before it just got exhausting and I lost steam, but I found that some authors have consistent chapter links and consistent scene links. They just are consistent. And then there's other authors, Jonathan Mayberry, for example, is the one I remember who have scene links anywhere from 80 words to 6,000 words and he's one of the authors that every scene is a chapter so that's another point between chapters and scenes a chapter is always made of scenes a scene is not made of chapters Mm -hmm.
1: yeah I think that's a good dichotomy is you you can't really cut a scene up in that way
0: Yeah. are there any other organizational styles of chapters that come to mind for you because we have like point of view the natural break and I think with the natural break you often want to end on a bigger cliffhanger for that group of scenes than the previous scenes perhaps had I think it's really good to end chapters with cliffhangers so that you that person can't just end at the end of a chapter yeah
1: (coughs) I, I think when I was trying to like research into how chapters may end it's like cliffhanger or an introduction of like a new person or a new place or like a new idea but there's almost always this intrigue to carry you on more I think the one thing though is there's a, a difference between having a cliffhanger and like introducing certain ideas and concepts because I feel like cliffhangers can sometimes be like overdone or like painfully overdone so
0: yeah, when I say cliffhanger, a larger question that the reader wants answers to immediately.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And it expands the idea of what a cliffhanger is because I'm, there's nothing wrong with Dan Brown's book. Obviously, it's sold a ton, but like some of those cliffhangers, it was a pain for me because I needed to put the book down, but I couldn't. And so like at that point, it's crack and I'm just like, I need to put this away. Can you please stop dragging me? <laughs>
0: Now, Brandon Sanderson actually purposefully does not end his chapters with all of his chapters with hooks. Granted, he writes massive tomes, and this is one of the reasons that he doesn't do that. He has said... But specifically for i want to give readers a place where they can take a break most of us however are not brandon sanderson and have not earned the undying loyalty of our fans and so we do want to hook them on crack definitely maybe like a little crack like sugar not straight up crack caffeine uh
1: we want them drinking caffeine not wine there we go
0: yeah and then okay and then the the third method that We've talked out, and I'm sure there's way more methods. These are common ones because they're the ones we pulled out of our brains first. The third method is to group scenes to equal, somewhat equal chapter lengths. Mm-hmm. All right. You ready to move on to scenes? What are scenes?
1: Yeah, because I feel like we have a lot to talk about here.
0: Yeah, chapter because chapters are an organizational unit, it's a lot easier to figure out what are my personal rules? There are no rules per se, but what are your personal rules about what you want a chapter to be? Because they're just the framing of the scene's are the filling. and um, There's a million ways you can do them. So you said you subscribe to three-story method when you write your scenes. So how do you go right yeah. out creating a scene? I, I love the idea of having
1: just the three Cs. So conflict, choice, and consequence. So when I use the three-story method in crafting a novel or an outline, I always take it from a bird's eye view and do the overall story's conflict, choice, and consequence. And then I break it down into acts. And then I break that down into each scene to see like what the progression is that I need to make. And so now when we're down at the scene level, I'm looking at what, where do I want my character to start? What is the normal for the start of the scene? And then what's the the point of change, the point of conflict? And then the part that I struggle with the most, uh, choice. So I, I subscribe to the idea that the, the main focal point character of the scene it needs to make a choice otherwise the scene is is pretty flat in my opinion and and i want scenes where characters are making choices this is the part where we i want the character to make either the the best bad choice or any sort of choice in which they the options are of equal or one may be slightly good slightly bad there's enough room that it's not a surprise if they were to pick the other choice. So it, it shouldn't be an obvious choice, in my opinion. And then consequence. So what are the consequences of their actions? What, you know, etc. cetera. That's a, the groundwork of how I think it through. And then I just kind of do the thing.
0: Yeah, I also use three story method for my scenes, but I do combine it with a few other tools that I find really helpful. My favorite is scene and sequel, which comes mm-hmm. from the techniques of, the Selling Writer yep. Dwight S- Sell. Sell. that sounds right. No, Dwight Swain. Anyways, Swain. techniques of the Selling, selling uh, Writer. And so these are two different kinds of scenes, scene and sequel. Your scene is your action scene. But your action scene, and this correlates really well with the three story method, is going to be instead of conflict choice and consequence, we can rename these to be goal, conflict or resistance and disaster. So your action scenes should generally end in disaster. Then your sequel scene is your reaction scene responding to whatever happened in the action previous. So you have your reaction, your dilemma, your thinking back and forth through your choice and then it ends in a decision, you move into another action scene. What I really like about this is that it just clarifies it like a lot of times you're going to have fast movement scenes and slow movement scenes, thinking scenes and doing scenes. One of the things that Swain lays out as a guideline is a lot of time your action scenes are going to be longer. They're going to be 1,200 to 1,500 words. You've got things going on back and forth. That's going to be the meat of your story. You'll often have several action scenes in a row before you get to a reaction scene And then the reaction scenes are shorter. They fill in your setting, your backstory, your theme. They're the thinking, they're shorter, 300 to 800 words. And I really find that useful when I am trying to figure out if I'm having trouble with the choice, is this an action scene or is this a reaction scene? Because that changes what kind of choice my characters have to deal with.
1: Yeah. After reading the Techniques of the Selling Writer and talking with you a little bit about this, I definitely love this idea. And it's something that I am considering, but I'm still like mulling over because I just want to get a book up. But I think that we do have sequel scenes. It's just a different way of looking at it and compartmentalizing those groups because especially in what we're writing. It's very like cerebral. There there are moments of trauma where the character has to process what is going on around in the world. And those are very reactionary scenes. Um, I just think I I love this method and I definitely want to subscribe to it at some point.
0: And I think most of us use those types of scenes intuitively. It's not like he was making up these things out of nothing. He was like, hey, like from working with, Writers for forever. These are the scenes that you have. These are the two scenes that you have, and paying attention to how many you have of each kind and what order they are gives you a stronger control of the pacing of your story. And knowing which scene you're telling helps you have a stronger scene. All that good stuff.
1: Yeah. If you think about it, the who is it on? You are a storyteller. Brian McDonald was talking about how story in and of itself came out of a need for survival out of a need for com- conveying a message of survival in one way or another I, involving you see a snake don't touch it and when you think about scenes in, in that or think about story in that way where you're trying to basically convey a message of survival in some sense or another there's always going to be these action scenes but then there's always a, a debrief a sort of a like what lesson did we learn here and i think that's where the scene sequel really flows well. And it's just a very natural method of storytelling, because I think that's ingrained in how we tell stories.
0: i agree. The third method for structuring stories that I've worked with, and I pull out less often, but still occasionally, are the five commandments for story grid. And these have the three story method elements, but two extra ones. So for the five commandments of story good we have the inciting incident which is equivalent to three story methods conflict the second point which story or uh, three story method does not have is the progressive complication turning point the third element is the crisis which is the choice in three story method terms then another point the three story method doesn't use the climax where the choice is made basically like are acted upon and then the resolution which is the consequences The point that I find most useful, especially when I'm having trouble figuring out what my choice is, is that progressive complication turning point. And so from your inciting incident, from your conflict, you build up to the point where your character has to make a choice. You don't go straight from the intro of the scene to, oh, I have to make a really tough choice. There's no, no immediate step from over there. You build up to it. So that's your progressive complications, things like in an action things, no, in an action scene, things getting worse and worse. In a thinking scene, new challenges proposed or rebutted against. Mm-hmm. And that turning point, that's the one that was most helpful for me. That's the point at which the mood of the scene changes. In a scene... I'll set up a scene. Uh, Post-apocalyptic world, somebody is scrounging for supplies in an abandoned warehouse. They think they're alone, they're wandering around. Progressive complications could be not finding anything, holes in the floor, leg breaking through, but the mood doesn't change until they hear a noise from a corner of the building where there should be no noise. And that moves you into the choice. What do I do now? do I run for it and possibly draw attention? Do I hide? And that turning point coming generally right before the choice helped me so much. Ah, yes, the mood change. Now most people will write that mood change instinctively. They don't need to remember it. But when I'm having trouble figuring out what the choice is, often I'll be like, okay, what's the point at which the mood changes? Because that will tell me what choice I'm going to be facing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think Part of it too
1: is I think you and I are, are very much planners. So we like to approach it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in a way where we want to decide what are these choices going to be? What are going to be our difficult choices? And then we write that down. But in, in the aspect of those that may pants or those that may find it natural, they may be writing their first draft and then coming back at it and looking at was this choice that was made here strong enough. Mm -hmm. And it may be as easy as changing like three words and all of a sudden, something that seems so uh, calm of a choice becomes much more difficult choice. And uh, I think that it's just the way that we approach it is more we like having our little pillars set up before we go to write because then that way we can feel where we're going because that's just how we function.
0: And play with the words in between.
1: Play with the words.
0: Now, you said when you made your, or said your description of what a scene is, what ends a scene as when they change location or new people come in. And I also agree with that. Generally, a scene is, is signaled by the change of location, but it also mm-hmm. may be changed by people. When a scene ends, do you always do a scene break? That's funny. So that's the thing that I don't know. So
1: when I was looking at edits, there was a couple of times where Jay, who edited it, would say, hey, this looks like two scenes here. And then I would immediately find it. And then I would just add in a hard, hard break. But there are some times where... Two scenes will flow into each other and it's the same, it's the same time. And so they're just flowing into the next scene. And in those cases, I don't. I think the, the only time that I use the hard breaks are if it's a passage of time or a very harsh change in location. But if they're upstairs heading to breakfast, I may not do a hard change because I have that transition in there.
0: I'm the same Jay and I have also had conversations about this because he style wise prefers the hard breaks I do think that's part of the genre he writes in that tend to be a bit more action oriented and they when you have action scenes it's you often do want those hard cuts because that fits the pacing particularly in romance it does not always fit the pacing to have a hard break there it may fit the pacing more just to flow from one scene to the next without putting a visual scene break in there.
1: Do you ever do soft scene breaks, as I've heard them, which is not using any sort of asterisk or line, but it's just having an extra paragraph space?
0: I see nothing wrong with that. I don't (laughs) tend to do that because I like asterisks and I just like typing them. Honestly, like that's my real reason. I I think I just, I visually like... That because my eyes as the author, when I am analyzing something would skip over just the soft break, but the the asterisks are just a visually easy thing for me. Say, ah, yes, there's this point. And so that's more of, it's not necessarily a reading preference. Maybe I don't have a preference for reading, but as uh, the writer in editing mode, I do prefer them just because I don't have to think as hard.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I've never used them. I, when I was looking up some stuff about that we could talk about, I saw it and I was like, I've never heard of that in my life.
0: <laughs> and for those of us who format with Vellum, it is just super easy to use the three asterisks in our Word document um, or Google Docs in my case to indicate that because Vellum will immediately interpret that as your fancy little scene break image but it might mess up just empty lines. Thellum's pretty awesome. It may not actually do that, but that is far more likely to get screwed up by a formatting program than it is a asterisk thing. And I try to do as little work as possible on nitpicky things. So I do some heavy formatting, In Word, as I'm typing, like I have all my settings set up so that when I import it, I don't really have to do any work on my formatting because I already formatted it as I worked in it. I fix anything that got screwed up when I get back from the editor so that when I import it, it's just mostly there. Mm
1: -hmm. Makes sense.
0: One of the things I really appreciated about the discussion of scenes in techniques of the selling writer is that he also validated incomplete scenes which he called happenings and instances and they are scenes that do not so these are scenes that do not have a conflict choice and consequence they may have an inciting incident they may just be short things where people meet but like nothing happens, but they give flavor or are just slightly necessary information. And these should be super short, like not super overwhelming, but they happen. And that makes sense because it doesn't, yes, you can absolutely, and some people do write stories that are seen tight, compact, but not every story is meant to be told that way. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And because I think we even have it where we'll have a a certain passage of time and we want to just convey the message that time passed in its own happening. Um, And reading it through, it it doesn't need to have all of the points of a scene because it's just a, a quick little, these are the things that quickly happened and then we continue on. Necessary information, but not information that we wanted to dive into. And I think too, like scene length can be anything. Mm-hmm. It can be a hundred words or less even up to thousands.
0: Yeah. And there are definitely theories of what like the length, the modern reader is really comfortable with. A lot of people will say that's between 1100 and 2000, you know, what we're talking about Vela episodes are recommended to be around 1500 to 2000, but All of that is completely dependent on your audience. So our audience right now are people who are live now, people who tend to want things faster, quicker in general. But if you're writing for an audience that likes slower paced things, that likes more flowery poetic prose, you're gonna have a completely different definition of what scene length is or ideal Mm -hmm. scene length is for that audience. I'm not saying that you can't look at Charles Dickens and Somerset Maugham as masters of the craft, but also realize that they were writing for completely different audiences. Yeah. And also Dickens is getting paid per word, so he got a little wordy. You just like to extend the amount of
1: vocabulary that one may be able to do.
0: Which honestly isn't that different from KU these days and I'm not saying that to disparage KU because I have definitely padded and fluffed some stories and Raiders have not complained.
1: Like I was saying with the, the short story I was doing for villains like I definitely have an overabundance of certain words because I'm enjoying how weird <laughs> It is and it involves using a lot of just flowery language. And so also using like nothing wrong with it.
0: Older words that aren't super common feeds the aesthetic of that story. Agreed. All right. This is your weekly reminder that we have a Patreon and if you would like to join us, we have the post up for our August book club choice if you'd like to help us choose our August book month choice. You can join us on Patreon and you will also be able to join us for the live discussion, which we will record Wednesday, the 14th of July. This month, we are reading Wide for the Win by Mark Leslie Lefebvre.
1: Okay. And in our Patreon for the August 2021 Book Club poll, we have three options. Uh, How to Write Manga, Your Complete Guide to the the Secrets of Japanese Comic Book Storytelling by R.A. Patterson. Contagious, Why Things Catch On by Jonah Berger. Romancing the Beat, Story Structures for Romance Novels, How to Write Kissing Books, Volume 1 by Gwen Hayes. Do we have a question? Or have a question oh boy do i ever i am curious on how you dear listener i am curious on how you structure your scenes and chapters do you subscribe to having equal length chapters or do you do a variety
0: excellent thanks for joining us this week everyone and we will be back next week see you later This meeting is being recorded, Mike Wazowski. This meeting is being recorded,
1: Mike Uh. Wazowski. They should just have multiple voices. It should be all over the place. Mrs. Doubtfire.
0: Oh, hello, dear. This meeting is being recorded. I want that one.